Hello, everyone. We are very excited to welcome the chairman and chief cheerleader of Hammett Bags, Tony Drockton, to the Style That Binds Us podcast. Tony started Hammett in 2008 and has grown the company throughout the years, despite very challenging periods such as the recession and the pandemic. Hammett Bags are known for their quality, function, and signature rivet detail. Very recognizable. When you spot one, you know it is a Hammett bag. They have been featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur, Women's Wear Daily, Fashionista, Us Weekly, and many more. And also, they have been spotted on Angelina Jolie, as well as in The Big Bang Theory, 90210, Entourage, and our personal favorite, Gossip Girl. Tony, thank you for being here. All right. All right. Thanks for having me. <laughs> We're so glad you're here. I know we are. What led you to start this fabulous bag brand, Hammett? Ooh, insanity. You know the fashion business, Delia, right? Who decides to get into this business unless they just are a little bit crazy? <laughs> <laughs> but the, the real passion behind it was I love art and architecture. I love design. Kind of a lifetime entrepreneur and Previous to him, and I focused just on where I could financially be successful. And I, even though I was successful for bursts of time, the passion wasn't behind it. And for some reason, it slipped through my hands. So before starting Hammett, I took a couple, really almost a year and a half to just really focus on what I was passionate about, what would get me up every day excited. And I said, if I can apply my love for art and architecture to an industry, then I think fashion is the match. And I met Stephanie Hammett right here in Hermosa Beach, California. She had these handbags she was making one at a time locally that women fell in love with. And uh, we decided to partner up. I invested and we were off and running, starting out of my garage in the summer of 2008. That's so cool. Out of your garage. So she was making them one at a time, handmade. And then... What I'm curious about is how you, once you got the idea, that's great. I think a lot of people would like these bags. How did you turn that into a reality? You literally started in the garage. Yeah. You know, Allison, I met her through a really good friend. And after I saw the handbags and I just, they felt, they just felt different. I talked Mm -hmm. to some fans locally and they said, oh, I love this. I have five, I have four. Mm -hmm. And then I did a gut check and I said, can this become a national sensation? And I thought, yeah. I think so. If enough people, the, the, the South Bay community really is a bunch of transplants. People come here from all over the country anyways. And if this many different people that had emigrated from Boston and Chicago and Ohio all over love them, I think the rest of the country will. Mm-hmm. And the process in going from that moment to today, that would be 10 hours of podcasts. So <laughs> really simple. Um, I just thought I'd do the same thing I always did. You know what? Decide I'm going to do something, lean in, and then money started falling from trees. And that's my past entrepreneurial businesses. But I didn't know a thing about fashion. Mm-hmm. And everything I've done prior to that was really more commoditized business, finance, real estate, construction, selling digital advertising. And so I quickly found out that building a luxury brand mm-hmm. in this fashion industry was going to require a lot more time and also finding some great people that I can surround myself with that could mentor me and coach me and work with me. And that took 14 years. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's still, that process is still unfolding, but 
I was pretty lucky along the way to uh, add key people at mm-hmm. key moments. Um, I think in your intro, you mentioned the great recession, which mm-hmm. was right after we launched ah. uh, the pandemic, which was just recently. And we're still just coming out of it. Yeah. Uh, I wish those were my biggest challenges because mm-hmm. those were nothing. My biggest challenge was me. Mm-hmm. I had learn this industry. I had to embrace luxury. I had to move from a commoditized business model that I'd learned to really embracing emotional decision-making around why people fall in love with ham and handbags. Mm -hmm. And I I listened to customers. I met with them face to face. Uh, I got a lot of no's in the beginning from buyers, definitely all no's from the magazines. And, and, you know, every time I got a no, I would just say, can you help me out? Mm -hmm. Oh, no. And the buyer Bergdorf, she's like, they're just, they're just not prime time, Tony. They're not ready. Here's what I would do. Boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'd meet with the buyer at a show and she'd say, you know, just got, not going to fit in my store. Great. What can we do? I'd take notes. And that, those, it, that was a two-year process of a lot of notes. And luckily, some people bought them along the way and started carrying them. Mm-hmm. And then I would do trunk shows at small boutiques around the country. And it would be the same process. You know what? I love them. What do you love about them? I love this, but you know what? If you put a little pocket on the outside for the cell phone, mm-hmm. I would love it more. And this was like 12 years ago. I was like, mm-hmm. that's probably the best idea I've heard. They're like, no one does it. I'm always searching around in my bag. It's lost. And I was like, boom, put a cell phone on the outside. Yeah. And then another boutique carried and the woman, she's like, I would buy it, but it just, it's not long enough. It's the crossbody strap hangs. I need it to go really long. Ideally, I can adjust it up and down so I can wear it on one yeah. side or I could wear it across or I could carry it on my elbow. And I was like, well, I can do adjustable straps. And mm-hmm. she's like, that's great. No one's doing them. So we started putting adjustable straps. This was the iteration of Hammett, one relationship at a time, one note at a time. And as long as I kept listening, we kept evolving. Mm-hmm. I think you said so much already to our people, the people, we have a lot of people that listen that are entrepreneurs and, and young designers and as well as, you know, just shoppers and wonderful people. And I think you said so many things so quickly, like you really need to uh, be in love with what you are doing. If you are doing it in an entrepreneurial way, because it's so hard and you really have to know the people in the specific, like, you know, inside the fashion industry, you really had to have conversations with them because it is such an emotional, uh, industry. Basically people don't really need another, anything, you know, they have to, like you said, fall in love with it and asking and flipping and changing and getting better and better. And it's so important to talk, especially because if you yourself, and maybe you do carry handbags, I'm not sure, but if you had not traditionally, it's like when men design a dress for a woman, sometimes, you know, you're like, if if you had to wear this, you would understand why this is so uncomfortable. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, now Allison on that whole note, not all of the advice was the advice I wanted to follow. Mm, That's a good point too. Coming from the outside, I had this unique perspective about what we could do. And so even during that great recession, I knew better than to degrade the brand. Mm -hmm. So everything we could to get through it without becoming a highly promotional, low quality brand. 
people didn't respect. And so that the advice I received during that time was do whatever you have to do. Cause this is, you know, everyone will forgive you later. Mm-hmm. I don't think people are very forgiving when it comes to a luxury brand. Oh, so no. I had to stay on the course. And then the second thing is like, you know, people would say to me like, well, you should do three different names and one boutique should pay another price. And if they don't ask oh for it, they don't ask at a discount at a show, charge them more. And, and there's all these games in the fashion industry when I got into it that I thought were just illogical and against my main tenant. My main tenant is just build a community one person at a time, Mm -hmm. lock in that relationship right in front of you and let the world unfold. It's a snowball effect. You know, if you know Warren Buffett, he wrote a book called snowball and he just, Mm -hmm. it's super simple. The reason he is one of the wealthiest man in the world is he started rolling that snowball downhill when it was really tiny in the forties. Mm-hmm. And it's gotten bigger and bigger over time. He hasn't had to change course. And he talks about that compounding effect of relationships, of interest, of an asset base. Well, there's a compounding effect of the asset right in front of you, a person. And if you allow that relationship to compound over time, the snowball effect is there's now hundreds of thousands of people mm-hmm. That personally know me. That sounds like a big number, but that's true. That's how much I've been on the road. How many trunk shows and events, people I've talked to, combination of social networking and LinkedIn. And there's now almost a million people carrying Hammond bags. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. And they carry that energy that from the first, uh, first interaction with me and then our team. So I think that's what's really the key to building any brand. And I know for Hammett, it's what got us through the Great Recession and this horrible pandemic we just went through. Right, right. The, um, and also, it, it, no matter what kind of fabulous personality you have, if the bag is not, the, is not a good bag, it's still not, you know, it wouldn't work. So, and I also think that most definitely, if you take a luxury brand and it goes down, it, it never comes back up. You can't bring it back up. So you were so smart not to try and find ways to, you know, make it less expensive to, to make. You know, Delia and Allison, we have, we have a lifetime uh, relationship with our customers because because we have a lifetime promise. So my favorite brands growing up, no question, ask return uh, replacement brands like to me shoes, like Allen Edmonds. I'm sure you can think of a few others. I just copied what works, the yeah. original model. You know what? Here, give me those. I'll take them back and we'll give you a new one. And right. but in order to do that, you have to keep focusing on improving the quality with every um, season. And that's what we've continued to do. We've had plenty of quality problems. I remember we had a brand new zipper pull design. I didn't test. It was early on and we were carried at Bloomingdale's and a bunch of specialties. All of a sudden I started getting calls. There was only five of us in the company, like the zipper pull broke. And then another one, a zipper pull broke. And then another mm. one. Broke. And I was like, oh, damn, we didn't test those. So I'm like, what to do, what to do, what to do. And I was like, uh, this girl, Sharon worked for us. I go, Sharon, anyone that calls in with a problem, tell them it's a lifetime warranty and that we will replace the zipper pull and find a local shoe repair place. So it's not going to uh, be a hassle for them. And also, so we didn't have to pay shipping both ways. And so, right. And I said, just call the shoe repair place, set the appointment. We'll send them a check back then. It was 10, 12 years ago. And they, they just show up. 
the zipper pool be sitting there with the money paid, put it on and they can leave. And I found out from that little quick decision, those customers became lifetime fans. It was so easy to get what they needed fixed. And we made it easy and they felt like they were heard. And then we said, guess what? Now we're a lifetime warranty company. That's how we originally started. And so we've leaned into quality ever since. Mm-hmm. Mom and I are watching at the same time, because for some reason, all these shows came out at once. The show about Theranos, we work an Uber. And so what you're saying is also how we view our business kind of slow and steady wins the race instead of this crazy unicorn situation that usually sometimes ends up in a crash and a burn. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's an interesting topic, Adelia. I'm watching them also, by the way. I read the book, mm-hmm. Theranos. The book was mm-hmm. Um, I just finished the week recrash. Mm-hmm. I have a different perspective and this is where, this is where I'll go. We would not have an Uber if Travis had not pushed so hard. He pushed against government agencies, sure. archaic laws. So sometimes an entrepreneur just has to burn the boats to change the world. And Tesla did that. I mean, there was an archaic model that manufacturers could not sell direct. He broke that one state law at a time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Travis did that with the transportation industries. Okay. In New York city, getting even a single lease, you might as well forget about it if you're not an insider. So the same thing with WeWork. So I can applaud them there. Right. They it. just kind of went out of control after that, but it's, it's interesting too, right now, Uber and, and the taxis are, you know, working together now on yeah. one app. And the ego gets in there somewhere along the way, and then everything goes haywire. So now for Hammett, we're in a $90 billion industry already, the handbag industry. We are tiny. I don't need to burn any boats. I just got to go back to the Louis Vuitton, Gucci, Prada, Chanel. Look at these brands and say, how did they last the test of time? How did they make it through the first real, you know, depression, how did they push through wars? How did they survive hyperinflation? I get, you know what? Well, it's super easy. (laughs) They stayed the course. They focused on the relationship with their customers, the most amazing, beautiful product. They never, ever dumbed it down or made it less than it was. And here they are today, the fashion houses of the world. I am not them but I can sure copy most of what they're doing so that a hundred years from now, we have the potential to be that. That's wonderful. And as a child, when you ask for too much money, usually your parents say money does not fall from trees. And you mentioned money falling from trees in your previous businesses. So will you tell us about that? Yeah. You know, Delia, it's a, it's a great story because I'm, you know, I'm a little Cleveland boy. I grew up at a, you know, a Chevy plant town. Every house looked the same. My dad worked in a little grocery store and you know what? We were, we never were, you know, poor. There was always food on the table and I was able to work at his grocery store since I was 10. And you know, wherever, whatever area you grow up and you think that's what it, that's life. That was my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, then after I get my MBA, I move all the way out to California and Everything I did from the moment I got out here, you know, really taught me that I was invincible. I was a little bit of Travis. I was like, this is great. I jumped right into the roofing business and we just blew it up. I bought Ferraris, speedboats, first home, 
I was traveling, going to Vegas, and I was just spending it faster than it could come in. And suddenly the, the whole world started to fall apart about four years in when people were calling for the first time with roofs leaking because it hadn't rained in four years. I literally was selling roofs uh, in the sunshine capital of the world. And all of a sudden it starts raining like crazy and all these roofs are leaking. And I'm like, oh no, I think quality should have been a part of my consideration instead of that last trip to Vegas or that mm -hmm. speedboat. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. It wasn't. And I'm not, I'm ashamed to say it, but I'm not because it was the best lesson. I tried to repair as many roofs and replace furniture as possible. But to be honest with you, I lost more than those relationships. I lost my inspiration. I lost my motivation. That's when things got really tough for me. And I just, I sold the company to Brian who was worked for me and I got out. I said, I can't, this isn't what I'm not enjoying this anymore. Financial success was still very good, but it just, I lost all inspiration. So I did what any guy would do. I took a few, some time off, went and saw Tony Robbins, traveled to some festivals. I started really doing some soul search and reading books. And, um, but because I needed money, I jumped right back into the residential finance and development in 2000. And, uh, magically, that was the best run in real estate, 2000 to 2006. So all of a sudden money was flying in. I was doing residential mortgages. I was developing house. I was selling them. And even though I thought I was a better person, I fell back into that same trap, not as bad, but still really wasn't my best self. And so 2006, seven came along. I'd gotten married and then already divorced. I was a single father. My son was getting older. I just wasn't passionate about that business. And uh, I dropped out again for two full years. And I just said, what can I do here? What can I do? And that's when I found Hammett. And I was determined when I got into this business, no matter how hard or how successful, I would never be encumbered again by physical goods. And that's where we're at today. We're a very successful company, but I actually use UberX. I rent the house that I'm in and my only asset is the stock that is uh, ownership of Hammett. And I want to keep my life that way. It's been super simple. That's, that is very, very interesting. And I'm sure there's so many people that have similar stories to that. It's hard not to get caught up and then not to burn, you know, get burned every oh. once in a while. And then it's great to take some time to figure out, how did I get here? And what were the highs and the lows? And yeah. And you know, a good friend of mine uh, taught me charity, Stephanie, when I got into this business, she was a friend and she was a wonderful human being. And she taught me when you give and support charities, Tony, you get a lot more back than promoting the Hammett brand. And that came off a part of me that I'd never had. I was never charitable in the other lives I had. Right. And found out the more that you give, the more that you support, you get so much more back internally, the payback. I started to feel really good about that. And that's what drove me to where we are today, which is, you know, as we become more and more successful, we really have just focused on where we can give back. It's not even on our website, but we support educational programs all over the country, women empowerment. Um, there's so many uh, um, charities that I could mention, but I don't want to leave some out, but I can tell you it's hundreds and we just love it it really, it helps, uh, people in need. And it also shows, I think that I've changed as a person because my focus is to do more and more of that. Yeah. You can have all the, the things in the world and you can still feel very empty. 
So that's, yeah, yeah. that's You're right. We all have that friend that we know was never going to run out of money and they're, they're not necessarily happy. Right. Isn't that funny? Yeah, it is. It's, it's hard to believe until you watch it firsthand, but it is. Hamster wheel, right. You get on the hamster wheel, the Jones's wheel. And right. it's, how do I reconcile that with building a luxury handbag, Allison? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How can I tell you that I'm focused on not having a bunch of material things and be building this brand? Because we're not Hammett because of the physical product. That physical product we focused on, the highest quality, beautiful soft leather, signature, all those things, that embodies something much more. And that's what I focus on. So if Hammett means way more than just the physical goods, if it stands for something, people will want to wear it for years, for decades. And that's what we're focused on. When people pull back the onion and they keep peeling it, if they go really deep into the core of Tony Drockton, if they go deep into the core of the actual Hammett fans that care of it, they're going to find it's really great people that care about others, that want to connect, that want to share, that want to support each other that are a part of their community. So we've embraced that path. And we feel when people wear a hammock bag and they bump into each other, it happens a lot. They're like, Oh my gosh, hammock. I think we started. (laughs) Where did you get it? Why do you have one? And there's these stories that they share with each, with each other about the history of their first hammock and how many they have and why that's why people carry any brand. I believe that's why they drive a certain car. That's why they stay in a certain hotel. It's the emotional connection. And that's what we focus on. Yes, it is. And there again, you know, even with that emotional connection, if the quality goes down, the loyalty goes. So you keep that, you know, at the top of your list, which is great because these people hopefully will have these bags, like you said, for a very long time. Yeah. You know, we'd like to say it's a family heirloom being passed down for generations. I've seen that now. And you made the greatest point. Words are worthless without the commitment around your product, whatever that is. And I think a lot of that gets lost out there in social media and scripting the perfect script. Mm -hmm. If you're scripting a script that doesn't, that's not out of full integrity and transparency, eventually you're going to be the emperor wears no clothes and someone's going to ask you. And my whole goal every day is to make decisions that when my son Riley sees them, he's proud of them. And he's like, dad, everything I see you're doing. So sometimes I have to do that gut check and say, what Mm -hmm. would my think? And if my, I know my son's going to be proud, it's an easy decision. If I, don't know that, then I have to go a little deeper and say, what's pushing this decision? Why would I do this? Mm-hmm. It's easy for brands to get lost. I experienced this, not from me personally, but at Barney's or when brands are meeting with retailers, they of course have a lot of feedback of things that they could do in order to make that brand maybe fit what they think the store needs. So will you talk more expand upon when you were saying how to decide and decipher what advice to apply versus not listen to. That's great. So let's break that down. Um, Number one, you're right. Every buyer, even customers, they have lots of feedback, right? So how do I decipher uh, the stuff I want to act on? So to me, it's fairly simple. Number one, I know where I want to take Hammett 
five to 10 years out. I'm, I'm focused on it staying in the luxury position brand, filling the white space between all of the American handbag brands that we know that have been around for many years. And those luxury brands I mentioned earlier in the pot, the Chanel, the Gucci, the Prats, there's a huge white space there. So we know we want to stay there. So when they give me advice on what I can do to enhance the product to fit into their store, if it doesn't violate where we want to go, I take that in and I'll bring it back to the design team. If it's a feature, if it's a function. Okay. One thing I never listen to is price. I don't care what someone has said, you need to be at these prices to sell to us. No, that isn't the case. We build the highest quality product that we can, and we make sure it's as functional as it can be. And then we have to have the proper margins in order to be a luxury brand. So it was never on the table for me to lower my prices, which I've heard a lot. Now, how do I decide not to do certain information? Well, if they're telling me to do something because currently today, this is a hot thing happening, it's a non-starter. It's already too late. So we have to be styling. We have to designing at least 24 months ahead, 18 months ahead for us to hold our position that we have in the market. So if it's already hot today and we don't have it, we missed it. And that's totally cool. It's probably not going to be hot next year. But if it's something that I see that can have a five-year tail on an improvement, like the cell phone pocket, like the adjustable straps. Okay. That's a no brainer for me. We take that in. So unfortunately a lot of specialty stores or even a lot of the majors, they're paid, their incentive is to move as much product as possible. That's what their job is. I think one of, was someone a buyer here or in that business? Yeah. Right. So he was, yeah. Barney's. Parties, right? So it's about volume. You have to move the volume. The other side of the coin, it's about newness, fresh and new, fresh and new. Well, those don't normally go together. We walked that middle ground, Allison. We said, we want to be high volume, but we want to do it with core product that people will fall in love with and buy over time, like the PS1, um, like handbags that we all know and love, right? Mm -hmm. So that doesn't necessarily fit with the Barney's. Cause we were neither, we were core product. It wasn't new, new newness. And it wasn't so high price that they could taunt it as something special for one season and move on. So they never bought from us and that's okay. And we never got burped off never, and that's okay. I found out that the higher end stores like that, they weren't going to build the brand that I wanted. So we focused on partnerships that could, that we knew that we could build a product that would sell for seasons and then years and then hopefully decades over and over again while still introducing enough fashion to stay relevant. And that's how we ended up at all doors, Dillard's and all doors, Von Mar, the two family owned department stores that are left. Mm -hmm. And now we are their number one brand in the three things I always wanted to be average retail final margin. Cause we don't do discounted at all and fastest growing so we're the fastest growing handbag brand with the highest final margin and the highest average retail price of every handbag brand in both of those stores. If you're a younger designer or a newer designer, you have to think five to 10 years ahead to not get pushed off course. And some buyers, they're really just remember what their incentives are, whoever you're talking to. And if your incentives are aligned, go for it. If the two of you are aligned, you go and go as hard as you can. We leaned into Dillard seven years ago, Von Mar nine years ago, and they've done nothing but continue to support us. Mm -hmm. That's great.
How are Hammett bags different from other handbags? I think what makes Hammett special in its simplest form is that signature of a detail, the architectural shapes that are quite unique to our brand and that ultimate functionality from the product perspective, we always use the softest leather. So that combination makes people fall in love with them the minute they touch them. And I think what makes special from the business model is that we are only focused on the lifetime value of the product with our fans. It's that simple. So they can wear them for multiple generations and they will hold their value and even go up in value over time because each collection, each style, once we make it, it's over. Only our core product continues in perpetuity. So when someone has a special bag, a color, a combination from 2014, that's it. One, one and done 2008. So we have collectors out there. We have one woman, she has 140 of our designs. That's wonderful. That's a great testament to the brand for sure. Take a look at Poshmark. Take a look at the real, real. You'll see the value of our handbags. They hold up, which makes it again, feel really great because people put value on it. I like to say your brand value is now transparent. Mm-hmm. Just go to the resale market and take a look at what the retail price was and what it's selling for. The difference between the two is the loss of brand. It's simple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. And Hammett bags, I mean, you can, you know, you can spot them. They, they, it's not like there are some purses that every brand is doing a version of it and they all look so similar. You know, it, you know, when you see someone carrying it, you're like, oh, that's a Hammett, you know, but it doesn't say Hammett all over it in big, big, <laughs> big letters. Incredible shrinking logo. I can tell you 10 years ago, take a look. It was pretty big. And then Jeannie, our design team, they made it so small. I can't, I need reading glasses, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's been the same. So you can see it. So yeah, we, we don't have a logo. Yeah. Really, yes, you do. The, the rivet is your logo. That's our, we're, that's our Burberry check. That's our Ugg boot look, right? We have a look. Yeah is consistent across time. So without a logo, and to me, that's more valuable. Oh, exactly. Yeah. No, I, I, you know, I think, yeah. If you know, you know, you know what I'm saying? Logos aren't necessary. If you know, you know. Yes, exactly. Tony, did you read Shoe Dog about Nike? Are you kidding me? I gobbled it up. (laughs) (laughs) Every business school reads it now. (laughs) It's so funny. I thought of a couple of books we could talk about and Nike and shoe dog was definitely like a defining moment for me because of the way funded Nike, which nobody talks about. I mean, they were cash poor for a decade until he finally really kind of, it's very slimmer to Hammett. I mean, we've been constantly finding creative ways. I like to tell when people tell me they're going to get into any business, I always say, make sure you understand finance and accounting. Cause if you don't oh. first find someone that does yes, or you put in your life savings, cause you will lose it all. Exactly. And I'm a testament to that. I lost it all within a couple of years of opening Hammett. I mean, I couch surfed for two years, my house was for sale. I got divorced over it. So I'm, t- I'm giving the advice that I didn't follow, but well, you didn't know to follow. I, I should have known. I have an FDA in finance. <laughs> right, 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 right. But I just, you know what? Those past two successes with big company, with they just kind of blinded me. Sure. You know? 
So luckily I have that team now and, you know, we run it by the numbers. So, yeah. 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 That's there. It's so interesting to me. The, and it's so many, it's so easy to think, well, I know that's the way it's normally done, but I think we can do it this way. I think it's going to be fine. You know, well, it's just as simple as, you know, do you have the money or do you not have the money? If you don't have the money, don't spend the money. Yeah. And I, I was given good advice about margins and about, you know, cost structures early on that, again, I just kind of pushed aside and that's why I got in trouble. Uh, in the end, um, if you run a company by the numbers, you're going to eventually be successful. And do you know, why do you think you pushed it aside? You know, ego, man, my ego was so big. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, I came into this. I was like, I am unstoppable. Right. I, well, you have to have a certain amount of that. I mean, no, I would weigh too much. I mean, I, but I the same thing, like with Travis, like we were saying, I mean, I think you have to have a little bit of I'm invincible yeah. to go big and yeah. to take the risk. But then yeah. somehow, how do you know when to say, okay, now I need to, you know, pull that back and get really serious about the numbers and, you know, yeah. I mean, for me, it was the rules. my personal version of rock bottom, which was, you know, two, you know, about two or three months into couch surfing, yeah. everything gone, credit cards were maxed and I wasn't able to pay. I was like, Ooh, this business is tough. <laughs> it wasn't, it, it wasn't that it wasn't still fun though. Mm-hmm. I still loved it. I just finances, finances were, they were, they were tough, but I was like, you know what? I can still get out of this because now I don't have any overhead. Now all I have to do is travel on the road and, and, and build this brand. Mm-hmm. And we kept the expenses down. We did everything in house and we just focused on what was immediately ahead of us in the collection and what we could do uh, and started rebuilding from there. Mm-hmm. And it, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, the best thing I, I brought mm-hmm. in, I brought in Andrew Forbes as our CEO four and a half years ago. Again, the best choice. He was a mentor for me from the beginning and his background is, you know, it's unequivocally successful in everything he's done. He launched the Vidal Sassoon salons in America. Then he go mm-hmm. a Jimmy Choo. So he launched Jimmy Choo with tomorrow melon, took that to 80 million. Then he launched the first Kardashian clothing brand with the global licensing Jupy. He was the CEO of that company. And then he came over to Hammett. I mean, so Andrew brought in this financial focus along with a true experience in building mm-hmm. a brand in and fashion. Yeah. We work well together. I'm a chairman and chief cheerleader, but he's the CEO. He gets to make the final decisions. I remember the first month we sat down, he laid out this organizational chart of what we would become in a couple of years if we could, you know, focus on it. And if we could execute and I looked at, it, I was like, wow, he's like, yeah, these are all the positions we need, Tony, in order just to be a legitimate luxury brand. I was like, what's well, a lot of people, how are we going to afford that? He goes, don't worry one day at a time. And here we are, that org chart's twice as big now. That's so exciting. Will you share some of the books other than shoe dog that you were thinking to tell us about? I'm going to give you one because if you give too many, I think yeah. people shoe dog. Absolutely. I already mentioned snowball from Warren Buffett. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone that you're listening, if you're not a Buffetteer, I promise <laughs> you will become one by reading this book. Here is a man that built his life from nothing came from nothing. 
and he did it one day at a time. And it's also an entertaining book because he unravels lots of the drama in his backstory that you would never know of, of the, you know, wealthy mm-hmm. Great book, great lessons in there. There's a whole bunch of people that do whatever Warren says for a reason. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. I'm reading uh, No Rules Rules. It's the Netflix story. And I got to tell you, again, the book is, it's amazing. So, you know, maybe you haven't heard of it, but there's a very, you can just Google anywhere. There's a, the Netflix deck. It's equivalent to like their human resources deck. And they put it on online and told everybody. And basically their philosophy is less rules, the better. So for example, they do not have a vacation policy, zero. You can take as much as you want, whenever you want. And everyone's like, you can't do that. Well, they've been doing that from the beginning. And there's a bunch of other rules they've taken away. They don't have any set expense policies. They don't have any set travel policies. What he did was he he said, we're going to hire the best of the best and we're going to give them the bandwidth to make their best decisions for themselves and the company. And we'll see what happens. It's a great book to read. I cannot wait for that. We want to know what you've learned from some of the challenges that you've faced. I feel like you have already really given a lot of information about that, but do you feel like you have anything else to say? When you sit here in 2022 and you're saying, what did I learn from all the challenges? Mm-hmm. I personally don't want to fall into experience bias. So experience bias is something that all of us have. What we do is we gloss over things and we turn them into something else. Either we make them much less than they were, or we make them much bigger than we were. It's called experience bias. If I take experience by way and I go back to each time that I fell, And each time that I was struggling at that moment, I never went to the negative. I didn't allow myself, you know, the fake it till you make it, it's real. And it really needs to be real if you're going to get into this industry, because you're going to have some really low lows. So I think the key is if you're not naturally a positive person, find someone who that who is and make sure you keep them super close to you during the tough times, because that snowball we talked about from Warren Buffett, it goes in both directions. And if you start snowballing with negativity, you're already done. You were never going to get out of it. So that's really the key. And that's a lesson I hold near and dear today. That's a great one. I hear what you're saying so much because usually Delia and I are both um, upbeat people, but it usually falls where when something, you know, if one of us is down, the other one is there saying this is just a bump or whatever, you know, the only times there, if there are times when I think, okay, we're both looking at things negatively, we need to take a step back and take a breath because it's, it is, it's, that's great advice. Have someone very close to you that, you know, will help you remember what, what it is you're doing and why you're doing it. And the, and the mirror of that, Allison and Delia is fire negativity. I'm talking your friends. I hate to say it, your family members, and definitely anyone on your team. That cancer will take over an organization the same way a single person at a party that's carrying bad energy will empty the room. Nobody wants to be around it. And so I, I just, we don't, I don't put up with it. It's not acceptable in my life in any way. My God, I love that so, so, <laughs> so much. Oh my gosh, Tony. So we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to the podcast. 
you have shared so much, but do you have any tips on growing a business? Anything else you'd like to share? Growing a business. Well, that's, uh... okay. I'm going to give you two answers. If you're a brand new startup and you're just in the idea phase, my number one tip for you is you do not have deep experience in whatever you're trying to do. If it's just an idea first, go find people that are doing it and offer to work for them for free. Do it on the weekends, do it whenever you can learn the business for free on their money. And then if you still want to do it now, you'll have the experience to start off from at least a flat space versus a hole of knowledge. Without the knowledge, you're going to struggle. So you might as well learn it on someone else's dime on their risk. And that's for the person that's going to be in a startup, doesn't have experience. Now let's talk about the person that's already doing something and they want to grow it. Maybe they're at the point where they're like, I, I've, hit my, the, I've hit my ceiling of complexity. The ceiling of complexity, we all have it. By the way, it's self-imposed. It comes from our parenting. We can only get so much. We can only do so much. We can only be so much. It, it's, it's Freudian. To break out of that ceiling of complexity, you have to look at the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I want to tell you, you don't want to be on the top of the average. So take an inventory of those five people. They can't all be people you work with. At least half should be people you don't work with. If you're in the middle, you're doing good. If you're on the bottom, that's awesome. Because if you're on the bottom, those four other people are going to raise your average. They're going to raise your average every day and keep making sure the five people you hang out with, you're in the bottom two or three, because that's going to make you more successful every day. It's that simple. And then by the way, outside of work, if you're at the top with another group of friends, that's great because now you're mentoring, you're mentoring others that need their five. So we don't have just one five. But when you look at your business life and how you're, you have a five, and then you might have a personal five, you might have a, a church group of five. So I like to be at the top when I feel I'm mentoring and I want to be at the bottom when I need to be mentored. And I manage my relationships that way. And they're not transactional. These are deep relationships that you can go into where both people benefit. Because never forget, when you're at the bottom, the people at the top of the five, they're getting something too, because they want to mentor you. They want to help you. This is the circle of business life. That's great. Cause so many people don't ask because they feel like at least I'm speaking for myself. They don't want to take the time to do this. I don't want to impose on them, you know, all of that same kind of stuff. No, they do. Yeah. They really, I'm also laughing about you saying, if you're at the top, if you look around and think, who are these people that I'm hanging out with? <laughs> It might feel good for a moment. You're like, oh, all these people are bowing down to me and I'm the smartest person in the room. You've stopped growing. Matter of fact, you're probably shrinking. That's not good. So with the signature rivet detail, was that something Stephanie had already created from the beginning? Absolutely. That's why I fell in love with the designs. I mean, I love architecture. I love art. I love design. I mean, this, those, those linear signature rivets, they just spoke to me. They reminded me of like, these classic furniture designs with the rivets on it. They reminded me of like even the first airplanes with the rivets on the wings. There was a masculine and feminine play with these rivets, especially on the soft leather. I was like, this can be way more than it is. 
And they're, those are one of the non-negotiables. So when you asked earlier about the advice I was given, a lot of buyers were like, what are you going to do when rivets aren't popular? And I was like, I don't, that's not going to happen. This isn't just about the rivets. It's what the rivets represent. Or they'd say, well, if you just took the rivets off, we'd carry it. I'm like, that's another brand. There's plenty of brands without it. So we have a non-negotiable about the signature rivet detail. And it's what's kept us uh, on this steady pace of being recognizable from across the street. Mm -hmm. It's true. I have a big question that I'm so curious to know. What is the future of the American or luxury market in general? Oh, you know, I think the future of the American luxury market is here. It's really simple. It's exactly what's been happening outside of America, which is strong relationships built around amazing designs that people cherish. It's that simple. And we're bringing that. We're bringing that back to America. So no big prognostication of some changes five to 10 years from now. If you, if you two go in your closet right now, you've got some go-to styles, items, clothing pieces, accessories, jewelry that you just always put on for those special occasions. That's one type of luxury. Then you have that other outfit that you just can't stop wearing. It's a combination of items that you just feel good about yourself every day. That's American luxury now. That's what we're bringing this everyday belief that you are special, that you are worthy and that you should be able to wear things that make you feel special all the time for decades ahead. I can't imagine someone saying, just take off the rivets. I mean, that's what makes the bag, the bag. That's so crazy, but that is, you know, I can believe it, you know, that it was, that it was said to you. You Take the stitch off the, of the doc Martin shoe, right? Right. Take that Burberry print off the inside of the jacket. It's, right. it's, it's, it's not happening. And it's, it can be something that can hold you back mm-hmm. or it can be something that drives you forward. And I think that's, that's that, that beautiful tension within our brand right now. Right. And the beautiful tension is how can you continue to iterate around it? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, We've done rivetless bags where the rivets are pushed into the leather. So you, it looks like it has rivets, but it's actually, it's an, it's a debossing process on the leather. And those have been very popular. We've done negative space where we've done cutouts of the rivets on, and that's also qualifies. So it doesn't always have to be metal. We've also come out with new style of rivets, uh, some, some golden heirloom pounded rivets. We just came out with a single rivet with an H inside of it. It's the first time we've done that could be construed as logo driven, but mm-hmm. it's served only for the first in a collection of a new silhouette. So when we launch a new silhouette, the first time that rivet will be on it. And then if that silhouette continues, you'll never get an, uh, that rivet on it again. Mm-hmm. Another way to make the, make our designs even more exclusive. That's wonderful. And also I think people really make a mistake when they like you said before, they feel like they have to keep coming out with newness because in order to become any sort of a heritage brand, there has to be, you know, that where it's recognizable anywhere you go. And it's something that 
you can sort of count on, you know, people are getting young people are very nostalgic right now. They're now they want to have their houses look like their grandmother's houses. For example, they are really needing something to hold on to that is recognizable and feels safe to them. And that's why I feel like like a hammock bag that is that original hammock bag. You know, you just can't go wrong with that. You can have some really fun and interesting and cool one of a kind type things and collections, but staying true to, you know, the brand's DNA is, is obviously something that you care deeply about too, which is great. Allison, I couldn't have said it better. Thank you. That's you're right on the money. I mean, yeah. it's the secret to all fashion brands becoming iconic and we're not there, but it's a goal and you're never going to get there. If you take that swoosh off the Air Jordans, which by the way, Nike, that's 40% of the revenue. That's same shoe. That's exactly. That bring it. Yeah. I know that Deckard's owns Uggs and I know their numbers. And I can tell you without that Ugg boot, Uggs doesn't exist. Sure. Right. So <laughs> sure. There's a point where um, if you own a home and you're always remodeling, no problem. Great. You're always got a new look inside. But then there's this point where you walk into someone's home and you're like, whoa, this mid-century modern is gorgeous. And I love it. And I'm like, wow, where did you get it? All? They're like, no, it's original. I'm like, whoa, because their grandparents did it. And then they got the home and they kept everything in it. And you feel the energy of this original mid-century modern home, every piece of it. That's what we're striving for every day, no matter what you're doing in fashion to be that. Absolutely. And that's the only thing. Sometimes I get frustrated with people that um, it's a, it's a brand that is, it's known for what they have always done. And then they bring in a new designer and suddenly it's, you know, I'm giving away my age, but all of a sudden they're now totally designing for 14 and 15 year olds, but it's too expensive for 14 and 15 year olds. And then the, the mainstay of the, of their customer base says, what happened to my brand? And they, you know, abandoned ship. So there's so much to be said for that. What are some experiences that you've created for your customers that keep them coming back for more? I'll focus on one. Stephanie Hammett would do home parties, wine, cheese, and a few bags when I met her. And that's really when I fell in love with the bags. We'd have a host. People would come over. They would look at her designs and they would buy some and go home happy. What does that look like today? We now throw these massive once a year events. This last one was probably 1600 people right in Manhattan beach in an outdoor open space in November. We still bring our designs, but we have stilt walkers and magicians. This one, we had a, a five plane flyover with, with acrobatics, Santa Claus, elves, everything. And it's just this rager with open bar gourmet food and we have all of these people, women flying from Florida and, and Colorado to come. We've been doing that every since I met Stephanie 14 years ago. So it was twice a year and now it's once a year. And it's just a huge event for Hammett fans, new and existing to connect and to have fun and to take home our latest designs. That's it. That is so cool. We need to come to that. I want to see the plane to fly over and the people on stilts. Oh, it's fun. We always have a theme. So fabulous. Uh, we've done all these different themes from high school graduation to the movie Elf. Oh, to I love it. 
Day of the Dead. <laughs> I mean, like <laughs> we just love, and it, it's all about costumes, dressing up. And, uh, it's a lot of fun. That sounds like a blast. That that also sounds like a brilliant way to market the brand and at the same time, really spread the love for the brand. And, you know, it's all about the good feelings for sure. Okay. Tell us what is next. What's next for you and Hammett? What is next? Let's see here. We know that we're doing very well in the women's handbags and really we're just a leather women's handbag. That's the softest, finest leather. We've decided this past year when we noticed people were gravitating to our clear bags for concerts and events in the last, they've really gotten uh, big that we could expand into other areas. So the next couple of years, we're adding backpacks as a huge focus. Everyone travels with one and they use it every day for work. So backpacks are next for us. And then in regards to events and sporting events and backpacks. When you put all that together, that's what's called a corporate markets play. So what we're doing now is we're working with fortune 500 companies to offer Hammond handbags, backpacks, and clear bags in a co-branded way, the same way Patagonia allows uh, brands to put their name on their jackets. So there's been a white space in luxury handbags in America that they just haven't been giving them to the, to their teams and executives. Cause I think they just kind of fell out of love with what the assortment was. We're bringing that back in a big way. And the response has been unbelievable. So with corporate markets, giving our bags to employees and team executives, and then with us pushing into the backpacks and clear bags, we have a lot of work on our hands to build this up. Wow. I had no idea you were going to say any of that. That's fabulous. <laughs> Good. I'm sure Dilly always laughs because Dilly will be like, I told you all of this. Mom. No, no, yes. I didn't know that. I'm thinking yes. Wall Street bankers, although you can see where they work. Right. I'm thinking of, you know, Alabama, number one football team in the country with all the clear bags. Yeah. Well, they're just exploding. It's yeah. been, we've sold out over and over again. So and, and it's a great opportunity to 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 put these high quality styles in the hands of people that didn't have that option. I don't know if you ever tried to buy a clear bag. Take a look what's out there. There's just nothing you like. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, it's just a no brainer for us. And then the same thing with like a leather, a beautiful backpack that, that could carry your football team on it or the uh, uh, company that you or your spouse work at or something, something you're proud of that you want to be associated with. Um, that's where we're going. Oh, baby. We cannot wait to see that. Tony, where can people find you and the handbags? First is Hammett.com, H-A-M-M-I-T-T.com. On social, it's at Hammett, L-A. And me personally, just Tony, T-O-N-Y, last name Drockton, D-R-O-C-K-T-O-N on all of the different social channels. I have a lot of fun posting Instagram stories and LinkedIn and a few other places. Uh, But most importantly, in your local boutique, please, if you're listening to this, support local. We're in over 900 retail stores across the country. And without these individual specialty stores and these, these department stores, we would not exist. Right. The people who open them, the owners that own them, they've trusted us from the earliest of days. And we make sure that we do nothing to violate that relationship. We make sure that everything we do builds them up. And that's why even though we're growing 110% year over year right now, after growing 83% last year, that's some pretty good growth. Our specialty stores are growing faster in their volume with Hammett. And that makes me proud. So please support them. 
Oh, that's wonderful. I have one more question. Takeaways from Tony Robbins. Ooh, takeaways from Tony Robbins. Okay. I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you the biggest takeaway, which is if you change your physical energy at any moment, like right now, stand a little taller. If you're sitting, stand up, raise your arms above your head, breathe in completely. If you immediately change your physical energy, you will change your emotional energy. So if you want to find positivity in the worst of moments, just change your posture, change how you breathe. Tony says, bring the physical into your body and the emotional will come out. It's actually impossible to be unhappy and negative. If you do all of these things and you put a big smile on your face right now, stand up tall, put your arms up. (laughs) It's not happening. I love it. I love it. That's a wonderful way to end the podcast. I think it's just, you have given, you are a font of knowledge and we are thrilled. And I know that our listeners are going to be getting so much from listening to this podcast with you. You Tony, we're so excited for everything that's happening with Hammett. Thank you so much. Delia, Allison, you guys are great. It's an honor to be on the podcast and have a wonderful day. Head to the show notes for a shoppable blog post to check out and shop some of our favorite Hammett bags. Thank you everyone for joining this episode on the Style That Binds Us podcast, and we will see you next week. Bye. Thank you for tuning into this episode on the Style That Binds Us podcast. If you like this podcast, make sure to tell a friend and subscribe. You can be a part of growing with us. Also, do you know about our weekly newsletter? You'll get access to exclusive content in our newsletter that we don't post anywhere else. Our newsletter comes out every Tuesday with the exception of the third Thursday of the month for Allison's special Celebrating Life After 40 edition. Head to the bottom of the Style That Binds Us website to subscribe.